Amen. It is good to be together. Thank you so much, worship team. We always appreciate your ministry so much. We are going to continue. Uh, it wasn't necessarily intended to be a series, but I want to continue on this thought of uh, being the church. And, and actually, in the midst of it, I was saying to the, the first service that it's probably more of some musings of mine than it is so much a message in the sense of being expository. But as we look into the Word, share in the Word, I do want to share a few things that I hope speak to uh, some of the questions that are out there and some things we hear once in a while and, and uh, questions, comments, whatever, uh, especially as we're just kind of in the season we are and uh, whatever the future holds, we don't know, but uh, we just want to get on with the work of God and what He's doing. So I want to speak to a few of those things as well. But we, we did talk last week about being the church. You may recall we looked at the conversation Jesus had with a Samaritan woman, somebody he wasn't supposed to speak with, but he was sitting at the well, and he asked her for a drink, and she got into a conversation. And so in verse 10, he brings her back on track, and he says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that was asking you for a drink, you would have asked him. That is, you would have asked me, and I would have given you living water. And I believe that we are living in a day today where there's just a lot of issues, and a lot of people have questions, and a lot of people are focused on certain things, but Jesus is so faithful to bring us back to the main thing and say, yeah, there's lots of issues, there's lots of distracting things, but the Lord still wants to minister to our real need. He wants to bring us back into reconciliation with our Father. He wants to fill us with a spirit, a spirit of peace. He wants our lives to be established on a firm foundation of our relationship with Him. And when that happens, as Jesus said, you seek the kingdom first, all this other stuff just kind of falls into place. In Isaiah 60, God said to His people Israel, and I believe it's a word that's very relevant to us today, He said, Arise, my people, let your light shine for all the nations to see. For the glory of the Lord is streaming from you. Darkness as black as night shall cover all the peoples of the earth, but the glory of the Lord will shine from you. Darkness as black as night will cover all the peoples, but for you the glory of the Lord will shine not just upon you, but also from you. I believe that we are, have been in somewhat of a dark time, but I believe we're also approaching a time of darkness that the Bible talks about that we must pass through. The world must pass through if you know the Word of God. But in the midst of that, the Lord says, the light of His presence will shine through you. You will see that light shine and people will run toward you. People are running toward the light. We're seeing more and more today that people are, are looking for answers. They're unsure of things. There's fear, all the things that we're, we're so familiar with. Um, and, but the Lord says in his people there is a light. Now, I believe we're also in a season. Wherever we land, wherever we are in God's economy and God's bigger program, we don't know for sure. We're going through some things that are global, but a generation ago or two, they went through them as well. And, and who knows? Uh, exactly what, what uh, is in front of us. But one of the things I do see is that the enemy really is trying to diminish the church. What I mean by that is he wants the people of God who, who carry what he knows is so detrimental to his kingdom, he wants to discourage God's people. He wants to depress God's people. He wants you to battle with those kind of things. He wants Christians to become disillusioned in their faith. He, he wants Christians to be distracted from who it is we are, what it is we carry, what it is the Lord wants to minister through us. I believe Satan also wants to divide the church. He wants to weaken the church. And yet in this season, the Lord is saying to the church, he says, it is time to rise. 
It is time for the church to get on her feet to come back into view. It is time for us to understand this is the moment of great opportunity. John said of Jesus that the light shines not just upon, the light shines through the darkness. And the darkness has no power whatsoever to extinguish that light. Now Jesus said in John 16, he said, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, be encouraged. I have overcome the world. Now, is Jesus saying, I have overcome people? No, because remember Jesus said to the disciples, my kingdom is not of this world. In the sense of, you know, what we see with the natural eye, he said, at least at this moment. The world, in the Greek language, the word is cosmos. It's not talking about people. Cosmos actually means an organized system headed by Satan that leaves God out. Let me say that again. It is a system that is headed by Satan that leaves God out of the picture. And so when the Bible talks about the world in these kind of harsh terms, or what might sound like disparaging terms, he's referring to this cosmos, this world system. He's talking about the strategies of the powers and principalities of darkness that have put together a narrative that continue to lead or strive to lead people away from God, to leave God out of their lives, and the result, of course, is to bring them into a place of emptiness and brokenness and of wasteful living. John says, for example, in 1 John 2, don't set the affections of your heart on this world or on loving the things of the world. The love of the Father and the love of the world are incompatible. In other words, the love of God, your relationship with God as you move into his kingdom, and you're both the Father's business, that does not match up. You can't be doing that and at the same time be in love with this world system that is actually headed by Satan. It's going in two different directions. He says, for all that the world can offer, and what can it offer? Just gratification of the flesh, allurement of things, and obsession with status and importance. He says, none of these things come from the Father, but they come from this world system that is in place, headed by Satan, that leaves God out of the picture. That's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom, and everything you need will be given to you. What's he talking about? Seek first the kingdom of God. Put God first in your life. Be, be focused on what he is doing, what it means to actually have Jesus in your life, and you'll discover you won't be looking for significance in the things the world looks for, look for. You will understand who you are as a child of God, as a daughter of God, a son of God. You will understand your significance. You'll understand your identity, and you'll be about doing those things that actually bring a richness and a wealth into your life, and you'll notice that as you're focused on that, God will take care of all the incidental stuff. So it's a different kingdom. But you see, Satan is very skillful at using these cravings in our culture to dilute our love for God. And the reason he wants to dilute our love for God, the reason why he wants to preoccupy us with these things is so that we actually find ourselves serving a world system that leaves God out rather than living in the kingdom of God enjoying the kingdom of God, rather than living by the values of the kingdom, ra rather, than, or rather than, you know, uh, uh, experiencing the fullness of the Holy Spirit or living in the fruit of the Holy Spirit with things like humility and self-control. John wrote in John, 1 John 4, the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, is already active in the world. 
Let me say it again. The spirit of Antichrist, which you heard is coming, is already active in the world. Now, that word anti, that prefix anti, not only means one who is against Christ, but it also means one who is in place of Christ. And so we're seeing that take place in our world today. The spirit of Antichrist, I believe, is very simply Satan preparing the world to receive a savior. Satan trying to bring the, bring the world into a place of collapse, a place of stress, all those different things that will be making the world look for a savior. He will appear on this scene to be Christ. He will appear on this scene to actually be a person of peace. But the reality is he will enslave the world. We read of that in God's word. You see, one thing you discover with the powers of darkness, whether the spirit of Antichrist, the world spirit, it's the same thing, is that Satan never allows a good crisis to go to waste. He will always use disaster, stress, fear, whatever it is going on in the world today, especially on a global scene, to take advantage of the season that mankind is in and try to move humanity a little closer to the last days that Jesus spoke about. So whether he's able to, you know, bring mankind right to that brink, and of course God is ultimately in control, or whether we just see the human race moving into a certain distance, and then it's going to stop there for a while, and another, years, another 20 years are going to pass by before something else happens. What we know is the enemy takes advantage of whatever season it is to condition mankind ultimately to come to that place that Jesus spoke of, where a world leader will emerge, the world will embrace him, and he will establish the kingdom of darkness for a short time until Jesus returns. And so that's why I think that one of the challenges for believers today, for anyone who walks with the Lord, anyone who knows the Word, who reads the Word, there's kind of this tension as to how do we live, how do we relate, how do we minister, how do we involve ourselves, position ourselves in the midst of all this stuff going on, because there's this tension between wanting to be a positive voice a voice of faith, a voice of hope, a voice of reassurance, understanding that people are going through, we're all going through the same thing together, and we want to minister that peace. We want to be that positive voice, but we also want to be, we're called to be a prophetic voice. We're called to be a voice that recognizes spiritual dynamics of things that are happening behind the scenes. So we know what to major on, we know what to minor on, but ultimately we oppose the works of the enemy that in any way bring destruction, division, confusion, whatever it may be, or manipulation and fear to people from behind the scenes. We want to expose those things, and we want to oppose the works of darkness, and we do that mostly one-on-one -on -one as we just mingle and minister to people that the Lord brings our way. But I believe the spirit of Antichrist today, as he always does, is laying the groundwork for what is to come. And what he's doing is laying a groundwork through a lying narrative, one, one among many things. And what that is, it just means that he's, he's getting our minds on things. He's getting our minds on issues. He's getting our minds on social things, whatever the case may be. But it's all for the same purpose. It's to distract us. It's to look over here while he continues to work and he continues to orchestrate things. And he gets us caught up in things that actually divide us. He gets as a culture to promote things that actually bring even more dysfunction into people's lives and families and leads to more brokenness and even death. And what we're seeing today in our culture is that anybody who discerns that and stands up against it right away oftentimes is mocked or canceled or silenced. And the reason is because, again, there is a narrative in our culture of the spirit of the world, the spirit of Antichrist. And so, again, as believers, that's kind of where our struggle is sometimes, discerning what to do, what not to do. 
But the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 2 that there's no reason for God's people to be deceived. There's no reason for the people of God to be outsmarted by the devil. Paul says, for we know what the devil is trying to do. So in other words, that knowledge of what the enemy is doing, being told in advance what it is the enemy will do in the days we are and in the last days, which I may or may not be here to see. Who knows how long it's going to be. But in knowing those things, it's kind of twofold. One is there's an awareness of what's going on, but having been told in advance, there's also a peace in understanding. The Lord says, I've told you these things in advance, so when they come to pass, you're not panicked. You're not caught up in the confusion, the chaos, the division. What are you able to do? You're able to steer your rudder and continue to be a consistent, calm, and yet authoritative voice, living your life, being about the Father's business, being about what I've called you to be, carrying the presence I've given you to carry to those who don't know the Lord, of course, who don't have that advantage. So here's what we need to remember. Our fight is not against people. Ever, ever, I don't care who the person is, I don't care if you like them or don't like them, I don't care what their policies are, don't care if you agree with them or disagree with them, our fight as the people of God is never with people. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, 12, will you read it with me? Paul says, for we are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against persons without bodies. Evil rulers of what? The unseen world. Those mighty satanic beings and great evil princes of darkness who rule this world. They don't rule the kingdom of God. They rule this tangible physical world. And against huge numbers of wicked spirits in the spirit world. That's where our fight is. But you know the good news? We are not without resource. We have been given weapons to fight the enemy. And this is what Paul says. Heard, we know it well, 2 Corinthians 10. We use God's mighty weapons, not those made by men, to knock down the devil's strongholds. Again, we are not fighting against people. We are fighting for people. We are fighting for this generation. That's what the Lord calls us to. That's what he has equipped us for. Not to fight against each other, whether in the house of God or in our community. Every day we wake up, we need to remember we have been called to be engaged in battle for people. Everywhere you go, preach the gospel. Everywhere you go, expand the kingdom and say the kingdom of God is here. You are a gift of God, Jesus said. Just as God the Father sent Jesus into this world as a gift to this lost, dying world that was in brokenness and darkness, in the same way Jesus says, I send you. I send you as a gift. You carry the presence of God. You are the solution to somebody's problem. That's what you are wherever you go. And he says, a lot of this stuff that causes their confusion, don't you get caught up in that. Your purpose is greater than that. Your mission is higher than that. Don't allow yourself to be bogged down in things that really don't make a difference at the end of the day. You have weapons of God. Now, in our culture today, what we're seeing around the world is that the spirit of Antichrist is at work just as the Bible says. 
And the spirit of Antichrist has deceptive powers. I mean, think of it. If the spirit of Antichrist, if it's the powers of darkness, can actually deceive you and me at times as the people of God, what chance do people have who don't know Christ? And so we have people in our culture, even people in leadership, really who are just pawns at the hands of a power they don't understand. And it doesn't mean they're bad people. It just means they don't know any difference. They're doing the best that they can and oftentimes are manipulated by sometimes the powers of darkness. Now, I just want to throw a couple things out here in not particular order. But one thing I do want to mention is that as the people of God, there is nothing wrong with us taking a stand for what we feel is right. There is nothing wrong with the people of God from time to time. We've done it down through the generations. In issues that we look at, we say, mm, don't know if I agree with that totally, or perhaps that is something that we really feel like violates our, our rights and our, our freedoms of Canadian citizens. There's nothing wrong with us questioning that. There's nothing wrong for those who are trained in those fields to, to initiate processes to oppose that and to you know, have conversations on those topics. I mean, you look through the Word of God, we see what happens. Moses disobeys Pharaoh. Esther violates the Persian law. Jesus defies Religious leaders, Peter disobeys the Sanhedrin, Paul defies the Roman Empire. That happens. It is our duty to stand with those who in any way are being treated unjustly. But having said that, we are not going to win the real battle if we're just caught up in that arena. Our real battle is for the souls of men and women. Our real mission is to bring peace and healing and reconciliation in the midst of all the things that are going on as the enemy tries to, to destroy people through fear or whatever measure that he can use. Where our battle is won is when we as the people of God understand that we have a resource, the presence of God. We can go into the presence of God and we can lay hold of the Lord and ask him to do those things that only God can do. That is our invitation. That is our resource. That's our responsibility. And we have to have discernment in these days in which we live that we not grow weary in the battle, that we not let the weariness, the heaviness of any season to neutralize us, to, to cause us in any way to just kind of you know, sit back or to become indifferent in the season that we are in. But here's what's also important. We must not allow ourselves as the people of God to be baited by the enemy to fight on his terms. We can't fight flesh with flesh. That's not what we're called to. Uh, we had a district conference a couple weeks ago on Zoom, and uh, the speaker made a wonderful point, I thought, that's so relevant to our day. And he very simply said this. He said, when Goliath challenged the armies of Israel, what did he do? Was it for 40 days he stand on the other side of the valley saying, send somebody to fight me. Find someone who will fight me, and it's winner take all. What was he saying? He said, I challenge you to fight me, and you're going to fight me on my terms. That's where the church gets in trouble. When we try to fight the enemy on the enemy's terms. When we try to fight the enemy with his weapons. It doesn't matter if it's today's issues or if it's just something in the flesh. We will lose every time. So what happens? David happens on the scene eventually. He says to the king, I'll fight this giant, this uncircumcised Philistine who defies the living God. And the king says, oh, David, hey, I appreciate your enthusiasm, but you're just a young man. And this man, Goliath, he's been a warrior since his youth. And he's a seasoned warrior. 
Well, eventually, as we know the story, David convinces uh, the king to let him fight. Nobody else will. So the king says, okay, David, you go ahead. You can fight him. But before you go, David, here's all of my armor. What is Saul saying? I'm going to dress you the same way that the enemy is dressed. In other words, the enemy has declared the terms. Here you go, David. You're going to wear the same thing. What does David say? Can't do it. Can't wear this stuff. I'm not used to this. I don't fight in this. And David picks up a simple sling and, and finds some smooth stones, puts them in his bag, and what does he do? He doesn't, you know, gingerly kind of creep toward Goliath and try to talk him out of it. David runs right at him. And David won that battle. Why? Because Goliath wasn't expecting a stone. And it hit him right between the eyes. Oh, I get it now right? Wasn't expecting that. And God has given you and me weapons that seem absolutely foolish to our world, that seem foolish even in the powers of darkness. But the Lord says, I have given you weapons that will disarm the works of the enemy, that will give you victories, and that will set people free. And those weapons aren't division. There's not contention. It's not arguments. It's not sides. You've got to understand the kingdom of God is an army full of sheep and infants. That's what we are, essentially. We're just marching into battle like lambs before the slaughter, right? But the lion of Judah is the one who goes before us, and he says, I will give you the victory. But you must fight with the weapons that I've given you. Understand your fight is not against people. Your fight is for people. Don't get involved in stuff and play into the enemy's hands. That is no way that you're going to win anybody, have influence, do anything for the kingdom. Understand who you are. Understand the weapons I've given to you. And friends, as a pastor, I just want to say, I don't want to expend all my energy fighting the devil on his terms. God is working. And I want to move with him. I want to hear what God is doing. I want to hear my quiet time with the Lord, what he's speaking, what he wants to do today, what he wants to minister today, the life that he wants to set free, and collectively as a congregation, what it is the Lord wants to do in our community through a people who understand who they are, understand what spirit we are of, understand what spirit, what weapons actually win the day. Uh, we went out for supper yesterday uh, with the family. For my birthday, I'm going to be 60 next month. I know you can't believe it. You're thinking, I thought you were at least 65. But uh, be turning 60. And, uh, and one of our simple rules, tongue-in-cheek, but really was no COVID talk. It used to be put your phones down, let's talk. Now it's put your phones down, no COVID talk. Anybody getting tired of talking about COVID? <laughs> Anybody getting tired of all the... I mean, the moment you start, it's like, I feel so drained. And that's, that's kind of like David was. David said, no, nah, I can't use this armor. And when we find ourselves getting involved in issues and battles and whatever the case may be, that we know is just not what we're called to be doing. We just kind of feel like David, like we're in this conversation and you're two minutes in and you're already exhausted. Like, I don't know. I'm not an expert in this. You know, fill your boots. We got work to do. Okay, we, I know who I am and what I'm called to do. And in the midst of this season, I want to be faithful to where God is moving, what he is doing, and I want to move with him. Now, let me just share a couple things in bullet form. Now, you're either going to love me or hate me. I trust you'll be indifferent. Because, um, you know, you may agree with this. You may not agree with this, okay? But let me just put it out here. And I know that my dear wife is taking a big gulp at this time. 
But let me just give you a couple points, because these are some things that people have asked out of curiosity, and I think these are kind of those, you know, things that are still hanging out there a little bit. That I just think it's important to clarify as a body who collectively formed Glad Toddy's Church, because we know even in the season right now, there's different churches doing different things, there's different attitudes, and as Pastor Kristen said, we are so thankful for the church board and leadership we have. I can honestly tell you, we are 100% unified in the direction that we are taking, but it's not that way for a lot of churches. I have dear pastors friends who feel a certain way, but they say, I can't do this. My board's divided. My congregation's divided. I, I, I can't do what it is I feel I need to do. So let me just give you a couple of bullet points of what I believe. Number one, I believe the pandemic in our world today, whatever your opinion may be of it, is significant, if for no other reason, that it's global. It's global in its scope. It's global in its impact. And people's lives have been very much affected. Number two, I believe the virus is real. Now, whether the response is, is measured, whether it's appropriate, I know that leadership has foamed along the way, just like any of us when we tackle something we've never done before. You know, whatever the numbers are, real or manipulated, it doesn't matter. The virus is real. There are people who actually are dying from the virus. Thirdly, I really believe that our, that our leaders need our prayers, and they need our support. The Lord really gave us a burden for our premier at prayer meeting Tuesday night, it was a very, very special time. And as a staff, we're praying about some ways that we can come alongside and encourage our provincial leadership. But Jesus said in the last days in Luke 21, he said that men's hearts would be gripped for fear when they see what is coming to the earth. Now that's speaking more future, but it's still the same principle. We forget sometimes that our leaders are ordinary human beings who are faced with almost impossible situations trying to please so many sectors of society and keep everything running amidst all the challenges, and they're just ordinary ordinary human beings that are trying to do the best they can. Now, some may have different motives or whatever, but we don't know that, so I just kind of leave that between them and the Lord. A fourth thing, I believe, is the COVID vaccine has proven to be very helpful for many people. For many people, it has lessened the effect of those who've gotten the virus as far as taking the edge off. But there's also people who have had very serious side effects from the virus. There are people who have died from taking the vaccine. We know that. It's not to make it sensational, make something out of it. That's just simply the facts. My point very simply is this. When it comes to the virus, when it comes to the vaccine, these kind of things, you simply have to do your own research. You have to make your own decision. And you have to respect your decision, and you have to respect the decision of somebody else. Make the best decision for you and your family. Now, I'm sure some of you are probably curious as far as what I have done. Just to let you know, Vanessa and I, we got vaccinated a long time ago. And so we have been double vaxxed. The effectiveness of it as far as how long it lasts, all that kind of stuff, the jury is still low, boosters and all those kind of things. Make those decisions when the time comes. But as somebody who is vaccinated, I want to say as well that I will defend a person's right to not be vaccinated. I will defend with my dying breath a person's right to look at all the information they have that they feel that they want to assess and decide for themselves what they place in their body. I don't think that's complicated. You know, you can take a vaccine and stand for someone's right to not be vaccinated, and, and the two can be right at the same time. We don't have to pick a side. But I also want to say this, because I know some people are curious. But as a church board and pastoral staff, the one thing we are united in is that we will not stand uh, against anyone entering this sanctuary to worship and receive ministry based on their vaccination status. That is not something we'll do. The house of God is open to everyone. Whosoever will may come. This is the place... 
This is the place where wherever you are in life, whatever the brokenness, whatever the bondage, the sickness, status, it does not matter. We are all sinners in need of the grace of God, and that will never be a policy for us as far as we're concerned. And again, that's not a pro-vax statement. That's not an anti-vax statement. Does that make sense? That's just who we believe we are called to be as the people of God. That is what our mission is. Now, I just want to address one scripture because I do hear this thrown around a little bit, and I know there's confusion sometimes in the body of Christ as to what this means, and I don't pretend to be for a moment the final authority on this scripture, its interpretation, but I don't think it's as complicated sometimes as it's made to be. You've probably heard Romans 13, 1 and 2, which Paul says this, everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. Now, I do believe that God has placed all authority in place. And one way that he does that is simply by giving you the right to choose who will lead you, right? It doesn't mean we always make the right choice. Israel didn't make a right choice. They wanted a king, right? What did God say to Samuel? Samuel, don't get worried about it. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me, right? So we get what we vote for. We see that in our country. We're definitely seeing it down south. But you get what you vote for. And so the Lord says in those those authorities that are there, if they're good or evil, I'm still going to work through them. The Scripture says that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And so if you have righteous leadership, you'll enjoy the benefits of that righteous leadership. If you have evil leadership that usually is in place because the deterioration of a culture that has put them in position, God says, hey, don't sweat it. It's going to be rough, but I'm also going to use those authorities to work in your life, to refine you, to change you, to break a culture and bring it back to me. Whatever, God in his wisdom, God in his sovereignty will still use those people in authority. But what's important to understand is the next verse, Paul explains exactly what he means. He says this in verse 3, for the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. In other words, if you're doing what is right in, in a normal society, you shouldn't have anything to fear. But now people will look at the scripture and say, well, that means that whatever authority says goes, okay? And again, forget the context we're in right now, but just think of nations around the world, different authorities, different kinds of government, different kinds of systems. Is the Lord just saying, hey, whatever they say, you just have to do. Well, we already seen in scripture that wasn't always the case. But what's important in this scripture is this. The word wrong, okay? Again, he says the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. The Greek word is kakos, and what kakos means is those who are doing bad, those who are doing evil. He's not talking about ordinary Christians who are basically taking stands on certain things where they feel like, this is wrong. He's not talking about that, that you can't do that. He's saying this to the people of God, there is no excuse for you ever to do what is evil, to do what is bad in that sense, not just what is maybe is perceived by your culture as wrong. And so I think what Paul is talking about is that believers need to obey laws that are just and impartial. Just and impartial. Because if we're going to obey every edict, whether just or unjust, then we would have to say that Jesus did the wrong thing by talking to the Samaritan woman. Right? Well, he shouldn't have talked to her because tradition says, religious law said, she's a Samaritan. You're not supposed to go near her. She's unclean. You see, Jesus broke the rules that need to be broken. Now, I'm not, I'm not condoning just going out and doing what we want. What I'm saying is, is that in issues that we don't have all the answers, there's still ambiguity, there's still leadership trying to sort things out. As the people of God, we've got to learn that there's certain hills you just don't die on. 
There's areas where we're going to have disagreement, and that is fine. Do we realize it's okay to disagree? I know we live in this increasing victim culture where, you know, if you hurt my feelings, and you know, then I want to cancel you, whatever the case may be. But as the people of God, we need to understand that we can have disagreement on certain issues, and we have to be humble enough to, to admit we don't have all the answers on this. I got to tell you, I can read all the articles. I've seen a bunch of the videos, probably 10% of what you all send me, but you know, I've, I've seen a bunch of videos. But the reality is I'm a pastor. I'm not a doctor. I'm not an immunologist. I'm not, you know, a virologist, all those kind of things. I can listen to a video and say, man, that guy is absolutely right. And then I can talk to somebody who knows what they're talking about, and they can disprove that in five minutes and vice versa. So I've just got to kind of stick with what I know, Jesus, <laughs> just what I know, the kingdom, what the Lord has called me to and what he's called us to. Now, if there are overt things that we feel, okay, this is wrong or unjust, or I need to lend my voice to that, that's fine. Do that. But if you don't agree with that, that's fine too. Don't do it. You see, we're, we're going to have different, you know, we're different personalities, different passions, whatever, but those things are not meant to divide the people of God. There's things that we have to say, you know what, if I'm really honest, I don't know. I don't know, but in my conscience before God, here's what I feel I need to do. Here's how I feel I need to live. Here's the decisions that I need to make, and I need to respect those who make different decisions. And I hope you understand my heart this morning. I'm not sharing any of this to take a side on the debate, whether it's being vaxxed, unvaxxed, masked, unmasked. I'm simply speaking to a scripture that I think sometimes is misapplied or misinterpreted. And, uh, and I could be the one misinterpreting it. So I'm humble enough to admit that as well, though I don't that's the case. Okay. Did I say that part out loud? You see, I believe as we live in the last days, and a lot of you who have been at Glad Times for a long time, you know my heart when it comes to end, end times, and it really is a, a passion of study for me. But the reality is, in the midst of what I see, only God knows how far down the road we are toward that last seven-year period that Jesus spoke of in Matthew 24. The things that we are seeing today that preoccupy us, and I mean, I know the enemy is using some of this, to, again, to kind of, you know, punt the football a little bit further down the field, but it's not the first time the world of the church has gone through global things. So we don't know if this is something where, you know, the enemy is going to make a, some advance, and he already is, in certain things. For example, we know the enemy is using this to cultivate fear, right? A lot of things that are similar to last days, the last of the last days, we know the enemy is using this thing globally to get people used to kind of spouting each other, reporting each other, you know, breaking down relationships, dividing homes. I mean, the Scripture says, you know, even children report their parents, we're thinking, how could that ever happen in the house of God? Well, we can see very clearly how, the, how that can happen. So, again, this is something that is just kind of moving us along, and then things are going to settle down in a few months or this year, and then we're going to have another 20 years of, you know, whatever, even though those things have now been established as part of our cultural mindset. Only the Lord knows. If it's another 50 years, five years under, only the Lord knows. He says, don't get caught up in that. There's more important things I want you to live in the moment. So what we do know from Scripture is that the darkness is only going to get darker. But that's in the kingdom of men. But God is never without a witness. And in the kingdom of light, he says, the glory of the Lord is going to rise. And the glory of the Lord is going to shine from my people. Wherever there is darkness, deep darkness covering the peoples, the glory of the Lord will rise up in you and will shine through you. That's where your heart needs to be. See, friends, we forget sometimes when we talk about end times or things that are happening in the, in the world today, we forget sometimes that it's not just happening to the church. 
It's not just happening to Christians. I mean, we get caught up sometimes in, well, the church has to do this, or we're a mass, or these protocols. We've got to remember, there are stores that are closing. There are people who are losing their livelihoods. There are people going through some real things. We're not the only ones. And, and, our, and our leadership, I don't believe, is after those segments of our culture, again, doing the best that they can. We need to understand our culture, our community, is going through the same thing we're going through. So rather than just being a voice of resistance or a voice of antagonism or being upset or whatever, we really need to be a people who minister, who walk in love and hope. Yeah, we expose lies where there may be, but we still do it in the right spirit. We need to understand Satan doesn't only hate Christians. Let me let you in a secret. Satan hates everybody. Oh, everybody. So don't worry. You won't be left out. We're all in the same camp when it comes to how the enemy feels about us. And there's shaking going on today. But God is doing the shaking. According to Hebrews, God is in control. And God is using things to shake our culture and to shake us so only those things that cannot be shaken remain in our lives. And as people's lives are being shaken, you go by all those nice homes and the garage are full of toys and everything else, but you know that hearts are empty, lives are broken, people are fearful, and Christian homes as well. The Lord's shaking that stuff because he says, I want you to be able to And the only way you're going to stand is if you are anchored in me. If you know me, that's what it's going to be about. So the Lord is using this. In fact, we're in a season like never before where people are open to hear about the Lord, to hear about hope, to hear about life beyond this life and hope in this life. And so we as the people of God, we can't be weighed down by the same stuff. We've got to be working while it's still day because Jesus said, listen, get your eyes off yourself. Look up. The harvest is ripe. People all around are open to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to see a demonstration of his love and power. In fact, I believe the Western church is really getting a small taste of what is to come one day. And what the Lord is doing even in this season is he's revealing what is in our hearts as the people of God. He's revealing to Christian people how authentic our faith really is in Christ. How easy it is for us to drift. How easy it is for us to get into other habits. How easy it is for us to get away from doing the work of the kingdom. The Lord is showing us where our hope really is. Where our preoccupations really are. We need to remember, saints, you are a gift from God. You are a solution to somebody's problem. The glory of the Lord is going to stream through you. That same pastor at conference, he said, you know, the best thing a pastor can give to his church is a healthy pastor, a healthy church. And he said the best thing believers can give to their community is a healthy church. That's the best gift we can give to the city of Moncton, is a church who understands who they are, that is full of the presence and the peace and the love of God, who cares about others more than we care about ourselves, and who are focused on the mission that he's given us to do. And for that to happen, we must be committed to one thing, and that is unity. Unity. Listen, friends, if our main concern is to hitch our wagon to a particular issue or opinion, we will fracture the body of Christ. And we as the church will lose our impact in the hour that we are needed most. I find it's interesting in John 17 that the night before Jesus is going to the cross, he knows what is waiting for him. He's seen many crucifixions. He knows the separation that's going to come before him and the Father, something he's never experienced before. And yet in the midst of that, where are his thoughts? His thoughts are on you and me. He's praying for us. And he's praying more than anything else. Father, keep them together for the sake of the world. 
Don't allow the spirit of the world, the fear of the world, the issues of the world to get into the church. Help them to keep their focus on what they are called to be, that they can go into the world and bring hope and healing and do what it is I've come to do. Don't let them drop the ball by being distracted, by being fractured. He said, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name so that they may be one, just as you are in me and I am in you. Jesus prays for our unity more than anything else. And friends, if he did that, then we had the responsibility to unity before anything else. We can't allow the latest news narrative or the latest social issue to divide us. We're going to have different opinions. To be honest with you, friends, I could care less. I could care less. Have your opinion, but let's get on with the work. I really believe this is a test for the church to come away from personal opinions and to become one in the purposes of God that are so much more important. You see, if we are in Christ, then the person in the body of Christ who is for everything can still have fellowship and love for the person in the body of Christ who's against everything. It really doesn't matter because we are united around the cross and we're united around the Great Commission. Before Jesus left the disciples to ascend back into heaven in Acts chapter 1, they asked him this question in verse 6. Lord, are you going to free us from Rome and restore us as a nation? And as I read that, I thought, we're asking the same question today, aren't we? In the midst of all that's going on, we're so tempted to have our eyes on ourselves and say, Lord, how long is this going to last? Lord, Lord, are things going to go back to normal? Uh, Lord, how long before I feel secure and safe again? I kind of hope that we never feel secure and safe again. I, ho I hope the Lord uses this season that the church never shrinks back into apathy and unbelief and materialism, being lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I pray this is a season that God can truly shake the church of Jesus Christ to be what we're called to be. But anyways, Jesus answered. He said, these things are now for you to know. Don't get all caught up in that. But what you can know is this. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll receive all the power you need to be a witness for me everywhere you go in the world. And the Bible goes on to say that the promise of the Holy Spirit was fulfilled when these followers came together in the upper room with one mind and one passion to seek after the Lord. The Greek word for together is homothumadon. It's a compound word. Homo meaning one or unison. Thumadon, we get our English word thermal. Thermal dynamics, heat, passion. It's speaking about direction. It's speaking about purpose. It's speaking about this passion that the people of God have. When they come together, they understand they have a mission. They're excited about the mission. They're excited about what it is that the Lord is going to do. In fact, after the day of Pentecost, when the believers were filled with the Holy Spirit, it wasn't long after doing the work of the ministry. What happened? Peter and, and the, the followers again gathered. They say, Lord, whew, the Holy Spirit filled us, but he's kind of just, you know, we've worked him out. You know, we need, we need more. Lord, that we're being opposed. This is happening. That is happening. No, Lord, don't protect us. Give us boldness boldness and the place where they were meeting was shaken again and they were all filled with the holy spirit and what did they do they went out and preached the gospel with boldness and the church continued to grow and an empire in a couple generations was completely turned upside down because people understood their mission they understood what they were called to they understood the joy of actually being about the father's business I'm going to ask the musicians to join me. John Wimber is the founding pastor. He's long since passed away, but 
He was the founding pastor of the Vineyard Movement. I heard his testimony a while ago watching one of his teachings. And he said, you know, when I first came to Jesus, he lived in California. He said, I was just so excited. The Lord was so real to me. And, oh, man, I was just a lot of joy. And I was excited. He said, I thought the Christian life was going to be like going to the beach. So he said, kind of spiritually, you know, I had my towel, I had my, my sunscreen, I had my bathing suit, my umbrella, and I'm just kind of walking through the Christian life thinking, this is a party. But he said, I realized that when I actually got to the beach, there were no flotation devices, there were no sea-doos. There was a wharf, and at the end of the wharf in the harbor was docked a large battleship. And he said, I realized I wasn't invited to a beach party. I was drafted into the Navy. That's what it means to follow Jesus Christ. We are drafted into an army that the Lord is heading up, that the Lord is filled with the Spirit, that He wants to do damage to the works of darkness. That's what we're called to do. Not to fight the enemy on His terms. To fight the enemy with the weapons we have and on our terms and to see the enemy confronted and overthrown. Not in overthrowing governments. Things are going to go as the Scripture says. But we overthrow the works of darkness in one life time. One life at a time. That's who Jesus came for. Arise, my people. Let your light shine for all the nations to see. For the glory of the Lord is streaming from you. Darkness as black as night shall cover all the peoples of the earth. But the glory of the Lord will shine from you. I believe, friends, that we are moving into and already experiencing a darkness in our world that we have to pass through. But God's promise is that His glory will shine from His people who are unified in their direction, unified in their purpose. And people will see your light and they will run to it. They will run to it. I believe people today are just ripe looking for people who actually know their God, who walk with Him, who are not ruled by fear, not ruled by issues, who have a different spin on all the narratives out there, a people of hope, a people of affirmation, a people of change, and people are drawn to that. They will run to your light. Can we stand together? If you're here this morning you don't know Jesus Christ, then I want to encourage you just to get in contact with us. We have some restrictions here in ministering. But if your heart is filled with fear, I'd love just to pray with you this morning. In fact, can we just do that now? And I want to ask you as a believer, if you just feel like, you know, I've allowed myself to get weary in this season, be distracted. I've allowed myself even to have division, you know, in my own family or in the body of Christ. I want to encourage you as I pray, would you just lay those things down? Say, Lord, I lay down those weapons. I lay down that armor. It never felt comfortable in the first place. I just, you know, I might have won a debate. I might have whatever. I might have had an opinion on something, but I just kind of feel, ah, is that all it's about? Lord, I lay that down. And Lord, I just open myself to your spirit. I just ask you to come and refresh me and fill me afresh with hope and joy in the Holy Spirit. Open my eyes to the harvest that's around me. And Lord, I just pray for that joy of being involved in the work that you are doing and just seeing one life after another changed as I just move through the day and recognize who I carry. And that, Lord, I am a gift for somebody today. Whatever I bring, a word of encouragement, truth, salvation, healing, whatever it may be, Lord, thank you for the gift you want me to be. So as I just close in prayer for a moment, we'll wait before we close in this song of, of triumph, this song of, of rejoicing, this declaration. 
I want to encourage you to just bow your heart and say, Holy Spirit, I just give you all that stuff. I give you heaviness. I give you distractions. I give you division. I give you opinion. I give you all that stuff. I pray, oh God, let my heart be united to seek your will. Let my heart be united with brothers and sisters and family. Let my heart, oh God, just be strong again in what you've called me to be and called me to do. Holy Spirit, I just pray right now in Jesus' name. I just pray one by one that your people would sense here in the sanctuary, Lord, at home, wherever it may be, I just pray people would sense you just dropping those things off of us. We want to put on your robes of righteousness, of peace and of joy in the Holy Spirit, Lord. We pray, O oh God, for those authorities, Lord, who've been given charge over us. We pray, O oh God, for wisdom. We pray for comfort. We pray that, Lord, as they're under the pressure of these things, that they would know they can turn to you, that you are there to help, O oh God, to guide them. We pray you put people around them who will support them. Pray for them, O oh God, that righteousness, Lord, may, may move through our land. We just thank you, Lord, that you're above all this stuff. History is your story. And we just want to be moving with you in what you're doing. So, Father, just thank you for your people. I pray for anyone who here doesn't know you this morning, Lord. May they just bow their heart and say, God, I need you. Forgive me of my sin. I need you. Cleanse me. Come into my life. And for your people, I pray again, O oh God, let us be marked by a unity. A unity, O oh God. A vision and a passion for the kingdom. We just give ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the GT Moncton podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, contact info at gtmoncton.com. Follow us on social media at GT Moncton or check out our website, gtmoncton.com. Have a great week and God bless.